Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of the Study with C. Martin podcast. I'm your host, Shonda Martin. For those who are joining us for the first time today, the Study with C. Martin podcast is the audio companion to my study, Bible study textbook, workbook, and free online Bible study course. Visit us online at studywithcmartin.com. There you can register for the free online course and access and download all the materials chapter by chapter for free. Before we get started today, we're going to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I give you praise. I give you glory. I give you honor because your word is true. And I thank you that because your word is true, then we have every good thing that we have believed and spoken according to your word. I thank you for your favor that surrounds me and surrounds this podcast and all those that you've drawn to receive the gospel through this podcast. I pray, Father, that you would continue to fill us all with the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, that the eyes of our understanding continually being enlightened, that we would know and hope of your calling and the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints of light, and that we may all know, see, demonstrate, and experience the exceeding abundance of your power, which is continually at work in us, toward us, and for us who believe your word. Continue to have your way in this podcast and in our lives that you are glorified every time someone hears and believes your word because your power is free to be manifested in their life, Lord. I thank you, Father, for all the testimonies that come forth as a result of hearing and believing your word. In Jesus' name, I thank you for a prosperous study time today, Lord. Amen. All right. If you are joining us for the first time today, I ask that you come off of this episode And get caught up with all of the previous episodes and then come back to this one once you are all caught up. We are in part four of the study course and we are actually in the next to the last chapter in the textbook, chapter 17. We've covered a lot of material so far. So get caught up on the earlier episodes and then return to this one once you're all caught up. Okay. All right. So again, today we are starting in the last part of chapter 17. Now, in this part of the study course, we have been talking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and what he's commanded us to do and what he's expected us to do, sharing the gospel with others. We've gone over what makes a person worthy to be Jesus' disciple. And that just simply means that in the same way that you would hire somebody for a job if they were worthy of that job, meaning if you needed a skilled individual in order to perform the task for this job, An unskilled individual would not be worthy of that job, meaning they were not capable or fit for that job. However, a skilled individual would be fit for that job. They would be worthy for that job. Likewise, when we call ourselves disciples of Jesus, we are worthy of being his disciple when we know what his word says and we believe and obey what his word says. We are unworthy to be called his disciple when we don't know what his word says or don't believe or obey what his word says. Amen. And last time we also covered those who are worthy to receive the gospel, those who are worthy for you to share the gospel with. This is not talking about a person's character or social status. This is talking about whether or not they're open to receiving the gospel. And Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus sent the disciples out to minister, he said, when you go to a place, preach saying the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he said, you go to a place to preach the gospel, inquire who in that city is worthy. Inquire who wants to hear about Jesus. As I shared last time, we can waste a lot of time trying to beat people over the head with the Bible, trying to force people to receive what the Bible says, even though they would most certainly benefit from what the Bible says about healing, help, answered prayer, whatever their situation might be. However, if a person is resistant to receiving, you are wasting your time. So Jesus was telling them, inquire in the city who's worthy of receiving the gospel, spend time sharing the gospel with them. And then once you're done, move on to the next city. We don't waste our time trying to force people to receive the gospel if they are not interested in receiving. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have any concern or or compassion for them. If they are not interested in receiving the gospel from you, Pray and ask God to send somebody to them that they will receive. I don't get offended if somebody doesn't want to listen to me. But if I recognize that they are in need of God's help for whatever reason, if they're having, if you can see that they are having dysfunction in their family life or in their finances or in any area, pray for them during your own personal prayer time. 
that's my approach when I'm out and about and I see people that may be behaving in an ungodly manner or it's clear that they are having challenges that only God can help them with. I pray for them in my personal prayer time. I, I might pray for them, you know, to myself, even while I'm at the store. And sometimes I'll go up to them and ask them if they'd like for me to pray for them. And if they say, no, I'll just pray to pray for them by myself um, without encroaching upon their personal space or trying to force the gospel on them. Amen. Previously, we also talked about the things that we are not supposed to do in ministry, how we are not supposed to charge for the gospel. Jesus said in that same passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 10, freely you have received, freely give. We are not supposed to charge for the gospel. And by gospel, I mean anything that has anything to do with the gospel, whether that be sermons, DVDs, CDs, MP3s, downloads, broadcasts. If you have social media channels where you can have subscribers and subscribers can pay a fee, you're not supposed to be charging a fee for somebody to access the gospel. If you have music, you're not supposed to be charging people to listen to your music. And the thing that we learned last time is that, yes, things do cost money. And that's an argument that people tend to use whenever you say that Jesus said the gospel is supposed to be free. They say, well, no, it cost me money to produce this book or it cost me money to produce this music. So it's only right that I charge people for it. So at least I can break even on the cost of production. Well, no, Jesus didn't tell you to charge for production. In being worthy of being Jesus' disciple, we need to make sure that we understand how to exercise dominion and authority, not just as it pertains to praying for somebody's healing, but as it pertains to having our tangible needs met. Disciples of Jesus are supposed to copy and imitate what Jesus did. Otherwise, how do we call ourselves his disciple if we're not following his examples? Jesus never begged anybody for money. We never saw him charging anybody for receiving the gospel. Yet people followed him in droves. Thousands upon thousands of people followed him from one city to the next on foot to hear and receive the gospel and be healed. So if we are disciples of Jesus, then we are to do likewise. And we also talked about gifts of the spirit, how to minister with gifts of the spirit, how a person can minister with one or more gifts of the spirit, and also how Jesus called some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers in the body of Christ. Many often refer to that as the fivefold ministry. We talked about the fivefold ministry offices, the ministry support offices, and the importance of not being led by people with a word from the Lord or signs in order to obey what God has told us to do. So today we're finishing up chapter 17, starting on page 672 in the section entitled, even if you are specially called, there will be no power for the miraculous when there is unbelief. As we previously covered, it is important for those to share the gospel to believe the gospel if the power of God is going to be consistently in operation when they minister to others. While Jesus' disciples had successfully cast out demons on a number of previous occasions, they encountered a case where it seemed like the power of God was not present to heal. From reading the story in Mark chapter 9 verses 14 to 29, we see that the problem wasn't that God's power no longer worked, but that the reason they could not cast the demon out of the man's son was because of their own unbelief. Think about that for a minute. It can be easy to believe and declare the word of God when people are healed instantly before your eyes. But what do you do when it seems that there is no change in the person's body or situation after you pray for them? What do you do when the person's health or situation seems to get worse after you pray for them? I'll tell you what you're going to do. Keep believing, keep speaking, and keep thanking God that Jesus did heal them and help them. As we previously discussed, when Jesus talked to the boy's father, the man said that the boy had been dealing with that problem since he was a child, and he went on to describe all of the terrible ways the boy had been tormented by the condition over the years. The number one hindrance to effectively ministering healing to others is unbelief. And what is the fastest way to develop unbelief? By talking about how bad the problem is, how long you've suffered with the problem, or how challenging it's been for you and your family to deal with the problem. While Jesus was confident when he ministered, his disciples were not. And if you are not confident, you definitely don't need to listen to anything that would further undermine your faith. When ministering to others, 
Don't ask questions about how long or how bad. Only ask the person what they want to be done. Pray with faith in what the word of God says, believing that what they desire is done and it will be. After talking with the boy's father, Jesus commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the boy and the spirit caused him to jerk his body involuntarily and caused him also to foam at the mouth. To make matters worse, the unclean spirit threw the boy to the ground and he appeared to be dead. Talk about a spectacle. Now, if you had commanded an unclean spirit to come out of a person and they seemed to get worse instead of better, that might cause some of you to think that you must have missed an instruction somewhere along the way. But you have to remember the word of God. What did Jesus say when he talked about dealing with unclean spirits? When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. And we see that recorded in Luke chapter 11, verses 24 to 26. That father had already told Jesus that the boy had been dealing with that unclean spirit or ailment for many years. And that meant that that spirit had been in that boy for many years. That unclean spirit thought of that boy's body as its home and it did not want to leave. When the disciples attempted to have dominion and exercise spiritual authority to cast it out, it knew it had to leave, but it probably did the same things with Jesus as it had done with his disciples. It put on a show to cause the disciples to become fearful and change their minds about telling it to leave. Mission accomplished. When Jesus gave the command for it to leave, it knew it had to leave, but this time when it put on the show, Jesus remained firm and did not retreat from what he said. Mark chapter 9 verses 25 to 27 tells us, When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed the boy greatly, and came out of him. And the young man became as one who was dead, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Jesus didn't wait for the boy to get up. He took the boy by the hand and lifted him up. And even though the boy looked as if he was dead, it was as though Jesus was saying to that situation, didn't you hear what I said? Now that's enough of that. But why was Jesus so confident? How can we be just as confident as Jesus was when we pray for ourselves or try to minister to others? Jesus knew that he had commanded that unclean spirit to leave which meant it couldn't stay even if it wanted to. And we went over this in part when we went over the individual healings in the New Testament. So why couldn't that unclean spirit stay? Well, one, while Jesus was fully God, he was also fully man. He did not just beam down from heaven. He was born from a woman like all of Adam and Eve's offspring. And as a man, Jesus knew that he had dominion over the earth and over everything in it meaning he had the right to exercise authority for himself or wherever he had been given permission to act. That's why he often referred to himself as the son of man. People like to often focus on the fact that Jesus was the son of God. But had he not been born into mankind, born of a woman, and that's what's meant by God's own begotten son, Jesus was born as a man. But had he not been born into mankind, he would not have had dominion over the earth. And we see the scripture reference for that in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and Genesis 1, 28. Secondly, Jesus also knew and believed that he had spiritual authority over the works of the devil. And we see the scripture reference of that in Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11. That's where God gave him the name that is above every name. And knowing and believing that, Jesus exercised that authority by believing and speaking, forbidding the works of the devil to remain or continue. And we see scripture reference for that in Mark eleven twenty three, Matthew sixteen nineteen, Matthew eighteen eighteen, and Isaiah fifty five verses ten and eleven. Lastly, Jesus knew that he had the boy's father's permission to act on his behalf. And from what we've learned in chapter six about understanding the roles of stewards and how that can hinder or help us when we're praying for the sick, 
having that father's permission is what enabled him to successfully minister to that young man. Now, the passage says that Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit. What does that mean? Well, to give a nominal example, if you were a store manager and you discovered that after your big weekend sale, that one of your employees accidentally put all of the money from all of the cash registers into the trash yesterday, you'd have some pretty stern words for them. You might even yell at them. In other words, you'd rebuke the employee. Now, you wouldn't tell that employee, Tom, I yell at you in Jesus' name. No, you'd sternly say whatever you needed to say to him. Likewise, when Jesus rebuked anybody or anything, he did not say, I rebuke this or I rebuke that. He sternly and authoritatively gave whatever word of disciplinary correction he had the right to give at that moment, which in cases as such was a command for the unclean spirit to leave the afflicted person. Furthermore, Jesus didn't just command the spirit to leave. He also forbade the spirit to ever come back again. Again, you have to remember what the word of God says. Jesus said that when an unclean spirit is cast out, it will try to return if it cannot find a new home. And when Jesus took the boy by the hand, even though he looked as if he was dead, it was as though Jesus was saying to that situation, you might look dead, but you're not staying that way because I'm the resurrection and the life. You can't remain dead if life is here. Again, that's how you minister with authority. Now, when we went over all of the individual healings in the New Testament, we saw how authority was exercised over sickness and disease in Jesus' name. And again, in looking at this particular episode, this boy having this unclean spirit, in ministering in cases as such, you never put your hands on somebody who has an issue that's been caused by an unclean spirit. Jesus always spoke commanding the unclean spirit to leave first and then he physically ministered to the person if he laid his hands on them or took them by the hand we saw this with the woman with the back infirmity for 18 years he spoke to her and said woman thou art loosed of that infirmity and then he reached out his hand to her we never see where jesus ministered to anybody that had an unclean spirit where he touched them first he always spoke commanding the spirit to leave first and then he physically touched them. And why was that? Well, just as the power of God can be transferred via touch to heal somebody, ungodly spiritual things can also be transferred by touch when those spirits are in operation. So when that thing was in operation in that young man, where it was flinging him to the ground and causing him to convulse, that spirit was in operation. So while that thing is in operation, you don't put your hands on the person. You command that thing to stop and come out of the person. Then you put your hands on the person. Amen. All right. After the boy was healed, Jesus' disciples came to talk to him. The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, you will speak to that unclean spirit and command it to come out of a person. You'll tell it to move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And that passage is in Matthew chapter 17 verses 19 to 21. Again, when we were going over the individual healings of the New Testament, that last line there that said this kind doesn't go out except by prayer and fasting. That does not mean that you have to fast before you try to minister to people. Having a lifestyle of prayer and periodic fasting keeps you focused on the word of God and on the things of God so that you are not distracted or tempted to give up or become discouraged when things that you can see or hear can cause you to be disturbed. Again, Jesus is our example. And in his response, he demonstrated the spiritual law of believing and speaking. Jesus also teaches two important lessons in being able to successfully share the gospel. Know and believe the word of God for yourself and pray often and even periodically fast. Long after you complete this study course, you must still purpose to study the word of God and pray often as doing so will help keep you focused on the power of God instead of the symptoms and conditions you may be confronted with when you minister to others. How to minister when people have unbelief. While power often emanated from Jesus for miraculous healings across large groups of people, 
There were times that Jesus could only minister by laying hands on the sick one by one. Why couldn't he always minister with the anointing power of the Holy Spirit? Just as the person ministering needs to believe what the word of God says, the person being ministered to also needs to believe the word of God. And again, we touched on these things back in chapter six about the spiritual babes, the spiritually mature, the spiritually immature and stewards, as well as in chapter 11, when we talked about the different ways to receive healing and also in the chapters on individual and mass healings throughout the New Testament. Now, many people today believe in regular prayer, but have no faith in bold measures like the ones Jesus was instructed to use when ministering with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It takes faith on the part of the minister and on the part of the sick person or their steward to permit the minister to spit on a person's eyes. But that's what happened when Jesus ministered to the blind man and he was healed. And we saw that account in Mark chapter 8 verses 22 to 26. However, when Jesus returned to his own hometown to minister, the people there had no faith in his ability to minister to the sick outside of the normal kinds of prayers for healing. And because of their individual and collective unbelief, Jesus was unable to minister with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He could only lay hands on a few sick people and pray for them in faith. That's why the Bible says, and he could there do no mighty work except that he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And that's recorded in Mark chapter six, verses five and six. And just as with Jesus, an atmosphere of unbelief will hinder the power for the immediate and even miraculous healings from being at work today. But Jesus wasn't satisfied with them not benefiting from the mighty works of the Holy Spirit. Jesus understood that unbelief is directly tied to ignorance. So what did he do about their unbelief? He taught the gospel. Let's look at the rest of that last verse. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went around about in their villages teaching. And that's in Mark chapter 6 verse 6. Now, the people's unbelief was due to their ignorance and lack of confidence in the power of God. Jesus recognized their problem and chose to deal with their unbelief by going through their villages teaching the gospel. Why teach? Why not preach? Well, to preach means to proclaim, while teaching means to explain. Just as the Ethiopian eunuch needed Philip the evangelist to explain the scriptures to him before he was able to receive salvation, and we saw that in Acts chapter 8 verses 26 to 40, People will not have faith to believe the word of God if no one ever takes the time to explain the scriptures to them. Likewise, when you see a person suffering with sickness, disease, or other oppression from the devil, if they permit you to do so, don't just try to preach the gospel to them. Explain the gospel to them so that they can hear and be healed. And if they are not willing to hear the gospel at that time, pray for other opportunities to share the gospel with them or pray for the Lord to send whoever they will receive so that they can have faith to be healed. And again, as I touched on last time, the Holy Spirit may prompt you to minister to people when you're out and about. And in this example, this is primarily talking about when you are ministering to those, for example, that are in your congregation or in whatever group you are already familiar with. Because typically, you're not going to have an opportunity to just preach the gospel to people when you just happen to go to the grocery store. I mean, it could happen, but that's not your typical everyday kind of a thing. And if the Holy Spirit prompts you to pray for a person or minister to somebody while you're out and about, say if you're at the grocery store and he says, pray for the lady that's standing over there by the butter, that may not be an opportunity for you to preach a sermon to the person. If all he prompted you to do was to pray for the person, then just pray for the person. But if the person inquires for you to share the gospel with them further as the two disciples did with Jesus as they walked on that Emmaus road, then do so. But if they're not inquiring of you to share the gospel any further beyond prayer, then that's the end of that because that's all the Holy Spirit prompted you to do in that moment anyway. So whenever you are in larger group settings like church congregations or family groups or even groups of your friends, If you recognize in your general conversations that people are not open to hearing the gospel or open to receiving prayer for healing or anything else, pray for them in your own personal prayer time and ask God for opportunities to share the gospel with them or that God would draw others to minister to them that they will receive. Amen. Even God needs permission. Jesus didn't use his spiritual authority to go around trying to start fights with the devil. 
That's what many Christians seem to do at times when they misunderstand how they are to properly exercise spiritual authority and power. They go around rebuking this thing or that thing, but never see any results. And this is true even in their own personal lives. They say, I rebuke this and I rebuke that, but they don't see any change in the situation. And that's oftentimes because people can copy what other people say, but they don't have any faith because they haven't heard and heard enough of what the word of God says about spiritual law, spiritual authority, and man's dominion to actually have any successful results. When you are carrying out God's command to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and you are hindered by the works of the devil, you are to take your place, have dominion, and exercise spiritual authority to command those works to cease and flee. That's what Jesus was doing every time he was asked to rebuke a fever or cast out a demon. You need permission to share the gospel with others and to minister to others. Even God needs permission to do things in the earth. If he didn't need permission, that means that he's not a very nice God. Why do I say that? There are people suffering all over the world. Old people, young people, men, women, innocent little children and babies. If God can do whatever he wanted to do whenever he wants, but does nothing to help these suffering people, that means that he's mean and insensitive. But that's not true, is it? God is love and he wants us to help every suffering person in the world. We see the scripture reference for that in 1 John chapter 4 verses 7 to 11. But you remember, God gave man dominion over the earth and over everything in it, which means he can't do anything for us unless we give him permission to do so. When God sent Jesus to save his people, many refused to receive Jesus. If God could do what he wanted to, he would have made them all receive salvation. So how does he get that permission? By having someone pray and ask him for help. But if they don't know to pray, will they? And if they never pray, can he ever help them? Remember what Romans 10 verses 11 to 15 says. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? You're the preacher. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? And to just pause there for just a minute. You know, when I first began really studying on this track, I used to pray for God to send me places. And if you're a disciple of Jesus, you're already sent. You already have a commission. But you have to start recognizing opportunities for you to share the gospel. Inquire who is worthy. You can recognize people who need the word of God all around you. But by asking one or two feeler questions, you can find out whether or not they're worthy of hearing the gospel, worthy of you praying for them to receive healing. If you ask them, can you, you know, would you mind if I pray for you? If they say no, that's the end of that. But if they say, sure, you've got your way in right there. You don't have to wait for a big booming voice for God to tell you specifically, hey, go here, go there. Yes, there are times where we do need specific instruction from God. But when you are out in your day to day, and that goes back to where some can say, well, the good Lord didn't call everybody to preach. Thinking that because Jesus did not appear in your bedroom and personally tell you that you are supposed to preach the gospel, that you're not supposed to preach the gospel. Jesus sent his disciples out and told them to just go and preach the gospel. Go, go. Wherever you go, you are carrying the power of God with you. And looking back at this passage in Romans 10, how shall they believe if they haven't heard? How can they hear without a preacher? How can they preach unless they are sent? You've been sent, so go. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 28. He said, go. So as you go throughout your day to day, know that you have been sent. Recognize those opportunities to minister and inquire if the person is worthy. If you see a person that's suffering or could benefit from the word of God, ask them if they'd like for you to pray with them. Amen. Again, what should we do if we see people that are hurting or in need of healing, salvation, or any other help that God can provide? Share the gospel and pray with those who permit us to do so and pray privately for those that reject the word, praying for God to forgive them, for God to give them a heart to receive the gospel and for God to give you and other believers more opportunities to share the gospel with them so that they will hear and receive it. And we see the scripture reference for those things in John chapter 20, verse 23, Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27, 
and Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. And don't be offended if people reject you praying for them. Don't be offended at all. Remember, Jesus said, if they reject you, they reject me. And if they reject me, they're rejecting the one who sent me. And the only reason why people reject the gospel is because they haven't heard enough about the gospel to want to receive the gospel. Amen. So don't be upset or frustrated with people. Have a heart for people, pray for people, and God will cause opportunities to open up for you to pray for people and opportunities for that person to hear the gospel, whether it be from you or from someone else in the future. Amen. Jesus permitted some, but not all. Even though Jesus is the son of God, he was also a man. And as a man ministering on the earth, Jesus had to have a person's permission to minister to them. How many times do we see permission at work in Jesus's ministry? Just looking at the fifth chapter of Mark alone, we see the demons ask Jesus for permission to go into the swine. Remember the man at the caves of Gadarenes? He had unclean spirits. Jesus cast the unclean spirits out of the man and the unclean spirits, before they were fully cast out, they asked Jesus, if you're going to cast us out, can you please permit us to go into the swine? Jesus said, okay, fine. He commanded the demons to come out of the man and they went into the swine. They couldn't go on their own. They needed permission. After Jesus cast the spirits out of the man, the people of that region would not permit Jesus to teach, preach, or remain there. And we see that in verses 14 to 17 of Mark chapter 5. After the man was delivered, the man wanted to go with Jesus. And Jesus did not permit the man to go with him after he was healed. And we see that in verses 18 to 20. Then we see where Jesus went to minister to Jairus' daughter and raised her from the dead. Jairus asked and permitted Jesus to come heal his daughter. And even though he was told that she had died, Jairus still permitted Jesus to minister to the young lady. And we see that in verses 21 to 24 and also verses 35 to 36. In going to Jairus' house to minister to his daughter, Jesus did not permit any other disciples to go with him except Peter, James, and John. And we see that in verse 37. Lastly, when Jesus began to minister to the young lady, he put all of the unbelieving people out of Jairus' house except the girl's parents, Peter, James, and John. And we see that in verse 40. In ministering to others, we need to understand and remember that permission plays an important part in the exercise of spiritual authority. Without permission, the power of God and even the power of the devil cannot be in operation or continue. So as you minister, remember these two things. First and foremost, as the Holy Spirit directs you to speak, pray, or act concerning others, always let everything be done decently and in order. And we see the scripture reference for that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40. Do not disrupt church services or attempt to make a spectacle of yourself or others because you feel that the Lord has prompted you to say or do something. If you are led to pray for or minister to people on an individual level, ask for permission to do so first. Last time I mentioned an example about how the Holy Spirit prompted me to pray for another parent after a school program. And... I was a little unsure about doing that because I had never prayed for anybody out in public before. And I prayed inwardly and asked the Lord, I said, well, Lord, if this is really of you, you're going to have to clear this room if you want me to pray for her, because that just seems like that would just be weird for me to be praying for her in front of all of these people. And usually after the programs at school would end, people would linger around for at least 30 minutes and socialize. But After this particular program, within five minutes of the program ending, the room cleared out just as I prayed. And afterwards, I walked over to the woman. I made a little bit of small talk because I barely knew this woman, but I was just obeying the directions of the Holy Spirit. Now, I didn't walk over to her and just demand that she listen to me or just walk over to her and acting if I was some big time this or that. I just had some casual conversation. And then at the end of the casual conversation, I said, would you mind if I pray for you? She said, sure. And then her husband was at the far side of the room, getting ready to leave out of the room. And she said, honey, come here. This woman wants to pray for us. Come on, come on. And so she was open to me praying for them. And I went ahead and prayed for them. So we always want to ask for permission first. Now, if God really told you to minister to the person, they will permit you to minister to them. But if they refuse, there's nothing else for you to say or do. 
If they refuse, then you pray to yourself. Father, I thought that was you prompted me to pray for that person, but they don't seem to be receptive. If you really were prompting me to pray for them, then make them come back over to me so that I can pray for them so that they don't encounter harm or danger or loss or anything like that. And that whatever good that was supposed to come of me praying for them comes to pass. So you stop and pray for the person to make sure that if they really were supposed to receive prayer in that moment, that they do receive prayer. But again, if they refuse, there's nothing else for you to say or do. But if they accept, as you minister to the person, if the Holy Spirit reveals any sensitive information about the person, and this this is really important. If the Holy Spirit reveals any sensitive information about the person, exercise tact and common sense. The Holy Spirit never reveals anything to embarrass anyone. He reveals it to you, his minister, to help that person. Remember, God loves everybody. So as you minister, always minister in love. So whether you are ministering to a person one-on-one or in a great congregation, if the Holy Spirit reveals the cause of a condition could have been a sexually transmitted disease or some other ungodly thing. Well, if you are ministering before a congregation, everybody doesn't need to hear that. The Holy Spirit can reveal that to you as you're ministering to that person before the congregation, but... You can communicate to the person where the Lord has revealed to me how this thing came about. Nevertheless, he has instructed me to minister to you in this way or that way. So in exercise and tech, I don't have to announce what the situation was. You understand what I'm saying? Because that's not showing the love of God to that person. To embarrass them in front of the congregation so people can shun them and think poorly of them. No, we're not supposed to do that. But we exercise tact and whatever the Holy Spirit reveals about the person. Amen. Additionally, in talking about doing things decently and in order, do not disrupt church services or attempt to make a spectacle of yourself or others because you feel that the Lord has prompted you to say or do something. In a congregation, only speak or act when you are acknowledged or given permission to do so by the pastor or ministry leader. God is not the author of chaos or confusion. We see the scripture reference for that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33. He would not tell us to have reverence for authority and order, but then tell us to be out of order when we minister. If the Holy Spirit really did direct you to speak or act while in the midst of a congregation of people, the Holy Spirit will create an opportunity for you to speak or act. Again, In referencing that instance with the the other parent after the school program, I didn't disrupt the school program. I waited until the program was over and then I went over and asked permission. I didn't jump up in the middle of the program. The Lord tells me to pray for that woman. Nope, that would have been out of order, even in a school. That would have been out of order, even if we had been at church. But the Holy Spirit will create the opportunity for you to speak or act. He will also direct those in leadership to permit you to minister and do as God commanded, sometimes without you having to say anything first. If there is no opportunity and you are not given permission, there's nothing for you to say or do. Just chalk that one up as, well, I must have misinterpreted something. I thought that the Lord wanted me to do something, but there was never an opportunity for me to do so. So I'm just going to, you know, I'll just chalk that up as a misunderstanding. One of the very first instances where the Lord prompted me to pray for somebody, I was at church in a ladies Bible study class and the Holy Spirit prompted me to pray for one of the women in the class that I barely knew. And that was completely foreign to me at that time. I had never prayed for anybody out in public. Well, I guess looking back on it, that would have been the first time that I prayed for somebody in public. (laughs) So that would have been the first time I prayed for somebody at church. And so when the Holy Spirit prompted me to pray for this woman, it was like this lasso feeling where he he lassoed the person and he lassoed me. And I knew instantly in my spirit that I was supposed to pray for this person. But being that that was not something that I had done before, I was like, well, okay, well, that is obviously a crazy thought. And I just, I tried to dismiss it. And he persisted in my spirit again, uh, making me know that I was supposed to pray for the woman. And so I was still reluctant about it. But At the end of the Bible study class, as the facilitator closed out, we got in a circle. The facilitator said, okay, so we're going to get Shonda to pray for so-and-so. 
I was like, what? <laughs> so we're going to get Shonda to pray for so-and-so. And it was the very person that the Holy Spirit was prompting me to pray for. So in that situation, the Holy Spirit prompted the ministry leader to have me to do what he had already prompted me to do. I didn't even have to say anything. This minister used to say, the Holy Spirit is not twins. There's not more than one of the Holy Spirit. He is working the same thing in all of us. If he is telling you that you are supposed to do something, then he is also telling that ministry leader or that pastor that you were supposed to do something. Now they have a choice to obey the Holy Spirit or not obey the Holy Spirit. If that ministry leader does not permit you to minister in that moment, then that's on them. That's not on you. That's not you being disobedient. They did not permit you to do so. And they'll have to deal with that. But just the same, if they don't permit you to minister in that moment, then you just pray about that and the Lord will deal with that. There's nothing else for you to do in that moment. If he told you to minister in that moment and you weren't given permission to do so, don't worry about it. And if you are to do something later, he'll bring that to your attention. But just be willing and obedient to minister as the Holy Spirit directs you. Okay, so we are still looking at the two things that we need to remember when we minister so that we can successfully exercise spiritual authority. Now, we just got through looking at remembering to exercise tact. And so now we're going to look at how Jesus only permitted those who believed in him and believed the word of God to be with him when he ministered. Why? The unbelief of others who are around you can hinder the power of God from operating at all. And even if the power of God was initially at work, their unbelief can cause that power to dissipate until it's no longer in operation. And depending on their level of unbelief, it can cause the power of God to suddenly unmanifest quicker than you can flip a light switch. Therefore, when you share the gospel, don't permit everyone you know to go with you. Only permit those who truly believe the gospel to go with you. And I know we can want to take people with us because it's comforting to have a support team with us. But as we saw with Jairus, who did Jesus take with him? He didn't take all 12 disciples with him. Whenever he had instances of the miraculous, not just when he ministered to Jairus' daughter to raise her from the dead, but when he was transfigured on top of the mountain, he only took Peter, James, and John with him. Likewise, when you go out and minister, you can't take everybody with you. If everybody is not on board with fully believing the gospel and believing that we are to pray for the sick or, or that we have authority over sickness and disease, they do not need to go with you. If they are wrestling with faith and doubt and unbelief, they do not need to go with you when you minister to others. Amen? Because you don't need unbelief on your own team. It's one thing for you to have to deal with the symptoms that the person is dealing with. You don't need the unbelief of those who are with you to hinder you from ministering when you go out. Amen? Additionally, as much as it is up to you, don't even permit spectators to be in the room or the area while you minister, even if they happen to be friends or family members of the individual you are ministering to. We saw this example with Jesus and Jairus. Again, in the episode of Jairus, Jesus only permitted Peter, James, and John from his team to be with him. But as it pertained to Jairus' own friends and family, Jesus got rid of them. We saw a similar episode when Peter was ministering to the woman who had died named Tabitha. The people who sent for him, he realized they were wrestling with unbelief, so he put all of them out. So recognize that when you go to minister to others, that you may need to put people out because their unbelief will hinder the power of God for the miraculous from being at work. Just citing a personal experience, the more you hear and hear the gospel, the more you have faith in the gospel, the more you know and believe that it is the will of God for you to pray for people and that you do have authority in the name of Jesus over all manner of sickness and disease. And the more you go and pray for people, then you will start doing exploits with the Holy Spirit. Gifts of the Spirit will begin to operate in you. And that can include the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord has anointed me to heal with gifts of healings. And on one occasion, he prompted me to go and minister to this person at a hospital. And they were there with their family. And when I went to go minister to the person, I could feel that tangible power in my hand. And and I, I liken it to <laughs> if you've ever stood next to or held on to anything that had like a power, a surge of power going through it. 
my hands and my arms were abuzz with that power. And this was still very new for me. So I wasn't fully confident in ministering in this capacity. And I wasn't as confident as Jesus when Jesus went to Jairus's house and put all the people out. I didn't feel like I didn't feel that I had the authority to do that. And so when I went to this hospital room to, to pray for this person and they were surrounded by their family, I didn't pray for God to empty out the room as I did when I was praying for the woman at the school. And I should have. I got a little intimidated by the abundance of their family members that were there. And as they remained in the room, when I got ready to try to pray for the person, I asked the person, I said, would you mind if I pray for you? And they were like, sure, you can go ahead and pray. And so when I got ready to pray for the person, they continued talking and their family members, they began to talk and they were like, yeah, because we believe that God can do anything that he wants to. And if he wants the person to be healed right now, they will be. And as they continued to say things like that, that sounds good. But that's doubt and unbelief when you're saying that God can do anything if he wants to do it. And the Holy Spirit began to prompt me to speak. And I began to say, I just need you all to believe God. And before I could finish speaking, they cut me off with more cliches. And as they were speaking, that power that I was feeling in my hand immediately disappeared. It immediately dissipated. Why? Because doubt and unbelief hinder the power of God from being at work. And what was sad about that situation was that that person was supposed to be completely healed that day. But as a result of that unbelief that hindered the power of God from being at work, they remained in the hospital and continued to deal with that ailment for many years after that. So what do we learn from that situation? If the Holy Spirit has prompted you to go somewhere and minister, remember your training. You can pray for God to have everyone to leave the room, but then you can also verbally tell everybody to get out of the room. As we mature in faith and mature in the things of God, everything is not a, okay, well, I'm just going to wait for God to do it. Well, no, you know better now. The first time I prayed for the woman after the, the school program, yes, I prayed and asked God to empty the room. But when I went to that hospital room, well, what else could I have done? Well, I could have asked the person if it would have been okay for me to minister to them privately. And depending on what their response would have been, if they would have permitted me to to minister to them privately, then that would have been the better thing. So as much as it is up to you, don't permit spectators to be in the room or in the area while you minister, even if they happen to be friends or family members of the individual you are ministering to. Again, we saw this with Jesus and Jairus in Mark chapter 5. We also saw where the Apostle Paul encountered this challenge when he was sharing the gospel with the magistrate named Sergius Paulus. We see that in Acts chapter 13, verses 6 to 12. Sergius Paulus had requested that Paul share the gospel with him, but as Paul tried to teach the man, all of his efforts kept being undermined by an unbeliever named Elimus. Now, when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of deceit and all fraud, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. If the Lord sends you to minister to others and people there are trying to hinder you from doing so, continue to minister and share the gospel there as long as the Lord directs you to do so. But as it pertains to those that hinder you, stop and pray for them because they are being manipulated by the devil. And if they continue, their actions will cause them to reap harm, as was the case with Elimus. And I've encountered that situation before where I had been sent to share the gospel somewhere and In our first meeting there, 
there was an individual in the congregation who was being disruptive and being a distraction, hindering the others who were there from receiving the gospel. And so before I ministered on the next occasion, I prayed and I prayed for God to cause the person not to be there. I didn't pray for the person to encounter harm or tragedy or anything like that. I said, Father, you know, it just caused the person to have something else to do so that they won't hinder people from receiving the gospel and that the work that you desire to be done won't be hindered in any kind of way and that they won't reap judgment or consequences for hindering these people from receiving the gospel. And when I ministered that evening, that disruptive individual was not there. As a matter of fact, for the remainder of the time that I was there ministering over those next few days, that person did not return. And in that instance with Paul, Paul spoke being prompted by the Holy Spirit, declaring judgment on this man, where he ended up going around being blind for a time. I do try to pray for people beforehand because I don't want people to encounter judgment consequences. But as you are prompted by the Holy Spirit to speak, if he prompts you to speak, even if that means speaking judgment concerning somebody, then we need to obey the Holy Spirit. Amen. Again, if somebody's being disruptive and you are trying to minister, stop and pray for the person. And if they continue, we do have a responsibility. As much as we have permission to do so, we are to exercise authority to have the disruptive people removed. In the episode with Jesus and Jairus, Jesus had full authority to put the people out of Jairus' house. If Jairus had stopped him, then Jesus would have been limited. He would not have been able to continue. Likewise, if you're ministering to a person and their friends and family are present and they are being a hindrance, then you can only go as far as their family or their stewards will permit you to do. And if you are in a congregation and it's not your congregation, you can only minister as far as the ministry leader will permit you to do so. So always let everything be done decently and in order and minister where you have permission to do so, getting rid of anyone that might be disruptive or a hindrance as you are permitted to do so. Amen. All right, that is going to do it for chapter 17. Again, in this last course part, review these episodes as often as needed. Because going through it just one time may not be sufficient. If you have any questions, feel free to message me. You can send me an email at contact at studywithcmartin.com. You can fill out the contact form on the studywithcmartin.com website. You can also message me on Instagram or Facebook at studywithcmartin or on Twitter at studywithcmart. You can also share an audio message or testimony at anchor.fm forward slash studywithcmartin. Again, I want to thank you for joining me today for the Study with Steve Martin podcast. Again, I have been your host, Shonda Martin. And until next time, take care.